You know when your mojo is working, you feel like anything is possible. There's a spring in your step, your thoughts are clear, and, well, you've just got the vibe. If you're looking for that vibe, or if you just want to keep it, you've come to the right station. Welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. I got my mojo working. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Thanks for getting on board the bus, the big red bus we call the Mojo Radio Show, the place where you come to get your mojo working in or out of work. We've got a bunch of balloons, some Tim Tams with hundreds and thousands all over them, uh, because I believe, big fella, it was your birthday during the week. It was my birthday on the weekend and I got the best birthday present of all. It's, uh, yeah. Was, uh, it was very nice. Thank you very much. Good. And you turned a portly... I turned a portly 23. So, 23. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, I'm getting up there, pushing 25. It's a bit scary now. You know, those numbers are getting pretty big. Gary's 20 cents worth. Now, I have got something for you here. Mm. This, is, this is a rant. This is a test. Mm. Now, I don't always drink beer, but when I do, I prefer Dos Equis. Stay thirsty, my friends. <laughs> So here's the setup. We got a new right? sponsor. A, you're not telling me about. This is a test. This is just it, right? So yeah. on the weekend, I came across this amazing campaign that I absolutely love the writing for mm. for Dosecchi. Now Dosecchi is another Mexican beer, and this the backstory is there's this guy who in his fifties quit Hollywood because he had a really forgettable career in television, <laughs> is living out of his van at the beach Mm. and he's looking for work Mm. and he is asked to go to a casting for a TV commercial Mm. and he's got everything in the back of his van and he goes and unrolls a jacket and a pair of pants, (laughs) goes to the toilet block, washes his face and puts on his clothes and drives to this audition. And there's like 150 guys at the audition and he walked in going, I've got absolutely no chance of getting this. But he needed a job, so he went. Anyway, he ends up getting the job and he becomes the world's most interesting man. <laughs> this is the campaign they've run for Dosecchi in America. And, mate, it's brilliant. His charm is so contagious, vaccines have been created for it. Years ago, he built a city out of blocks. Today, over 600,000 people live and work there. He is the only man to ever ace a Rorschach test. Every time he goes for a swim, dolphins appear. Alien abductors have asked him to probe them. If he were to give you directions, you'd never get lost, and you'd arrive at least five minutes early. His legend precedes him, the way lightning precedes thunder. He is the most interesting man in the world. So anyway, his catch line at the end of it is, I don't always drink beer, but when I do, I prefer Dos <laughs> right. Stay thirsty, my friends. Yeah. <laughs> See, here's the campaign. Corona's dumped. Right. Corona's gone. Corona's finished. gone. Right. Okay. Gone. Mate, yeah. well, we've then, been doing it for four years, thanking uh, our friends at Corona, yeah. right? And they're not now, answering our emails. Yeah. Not answering emails. <laughs> we've had somebody on from Corona. <laughs> <laughs> who knew some people there and they still didn't even send us a carton or a little yeah. six-pack of Coronitos, the small ones. Yeah, right. Now, we don't have any advertising. We don't have any sponsors or anything, sadly. Mm. But 
Well, we it's don't have any paid advertising because you could suggest that we actually do advertise Tim Tams and Corona. We just don't get paid for it. <laughs> and we don't even get it. We don't even get a packet. We don't no. even get a cart. So I've gone. You know what? Yeah. Dumped. Now, if you want to hold on to Tim Tams, that's fine. Mm-hmm. However, I'm dumping Corona and I'm right. moving on to Dosecki. So here's okay. my test. Yeah. What I think we should become mm. is the most interesting man in podcasting. <laughs> stay thirsty, my friends. Stay curious, my friends. No, no, stay thirsty. It's stay curious as somebody else. Stay thirsty, my friends. <laughs> so it's, I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, mm. I prefer the Mojo Radio Show. <laughs> Stay curious, my friends. So we become the most interesting men in podcasting oh, Jesus. in the world. We're in big trouble. So here's my test, right? Yeah. If there's a brand hmm. and you are in tune with what's going on in the world, they will pick up on this. <laughs> and I just want to see whether we can get a reaction. And this is not paid. It's not anything else. I want to see whether we can get a reaction (laughs) and it being the most interesting men in podcasting. We'll probably get a cease and desist order at least. (laughs) Um, It's a funny thing is I've been drinking Dos for years. I mean, I I get it from Dan Murphy's. It's hard to find. Oh, here it comes. But I must say... No, no, no. Well, we remember we had we had one of the guys on from Dan Murphy's who, who yes, talked about. It. He said, that's right. "I know somebody at Corona. I'll drop a, and that nothing happened. <laughs> it's just for fun. A six, a, a stubby would be cool. Yeah, it's, a stubby it's, cooler. Just, yep. Just throw us a lifeline. Stay thirsty, my friends. I'm Anna Devenna. I'm also known as the Sleep Muse. I help people get a great night's sleep. And often when people are struggling with sleep, I suggest that they listen to the Mojo Radio Show. And when they do, they fall asleep instantly. (laughs) All right. We're going back to uh, grit this week. We are going back to grit. And imagine this, folks. Imagine that one day you woke up and in one minute, in one minute, you saw 500,000 people in your village killed. Picture that, a half a million people in one minute decimated from your village in Haiti in the Dominican Republic. That's the background that this guy came from. He was a beggar living on the streets, following around tourists, begging for money, where his dream essentially during his childhood was just to have enough food to eat the next meal. But then one day he dreamt differently and dreamt of going to America. Now, Junior Bernard is and does personify grit and resilience. And you wouldn't have to go too far. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. You wouldn't have to go too far from the tree to work out who introduced us to Junior Bernard. It would be Carolyn Miller. Carolyn Adams Miller, who has a brand new book out called Getting Grit, said, in fact, it's something that was mentioned to us when we had coffee with Carolyn in Sydney Mm. with Professor Lee Waters, who's also going to be back on the show shortly. I know, I'm excited about that. Carolyn said, you have to talk to Junior. And we tracked him down. He has very graciously decided to spend some time with us. So, Junior, welcome to the Mojo Radio Show, mate. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's really a pleasure. It is an absolute pleasure for us. Let's let's start at the start. Uh-huh. You were born in Haiti in 1988. Correct. Take us back to your childhood. What was it like in Haiti at that time? And... Um Growing up in Haiti, uh, as some of you may know, Haiti is a is a Haiti has been going through a lot for a long time, and as for me, growing up in Haiti was pretty critical. 
because unfortunately, uh, I grew up in a family where things were really hard for us. And, you know, going to school was a struggle. Even having to eat every day was a constant struggle for my parents just to come up with the money, uh, you know, just enough to feed us. And there were times me and my siblings, we would go to school and, and sometimes have to faint from hunger. And, uh, you know, just thinking about the things that I had to go through, I never realized that I was poor until my father started to fix electronic devices. And then right from there, I would notice, you know, I would see America on TV, you know, all the nice buildings and people doing things that were totally different from what I grew up um, knowing in Haiti. So I had sort of uh, developed the desire to come to America. And that's how my journey started. And, and to achieve that dream, uh, I'm telling you, it was it was quite a journey. And I went through so much throughout my life just to be able to make it here, uh, you know, in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, in the U.S. Uh, right now. So it, it's, it's a long journey. So how bad was the poverty? When you think back to your childhood, you were going through, you know, you're eight, nine, ten, ten years old. You can recall those times. How how bad was the situation you came from? Well, the situation I came from was uh, in the house where we grew up. When it rains, you would have the water, the rainwater leaking through the house. And we also had dirt uh, in the house, the place where we would sleep. And and one of the biggest issues we had growing up was with cockroaches and rats coming in the house in the middle of the night looking for food. And, and you know, you would wake up in the middle of the night with rats running over you and we would wake up screaming and my mom would somehow, you know, put us next to her and and. and and find a way to make us fall back, fall asleep. And, um, you know, it was always, it's almost like every day we woke up, it was always the same issues. We, you know, we barely had anything, you know, no, no shoes. And we would be walking around sometimes half naked as children. And, and it, it wasn't just my family. In our whole neighborhood, a lot of people were in the same situation. And, and there were times where we would notice other children like ourselves die um, you know, from starvation, malnutrition, and a lot of time they would have disease and uh, with no one to help, you know, we, do, we don't have proper hospitals down there, at least back then. But now things sort of got a little bit better, but um, growing up was to the point where you just don't know what's going to happen next. And it, it was a struggle. It's almost like you're in the middle of, a, of the jungle or a big war where you have to fight to survive um, to see the next day. So my understanding is that you saw a film clip in an American movie and that framed what you could see for your future. Can you tell us about how, how that happened and, and the picture it created in your mind? Okay. Uh, the way it happened was uh, I would be – the fact that my father used to fix electronic device, devices for a living, um, I sort of grew up while most of the people around me had no access to a television. But thankfully, I grew up watching TVs all the time. So I remember – again, I always watched TV. I never really thought anything of it. But then that one time, I took some time to really watch the scene, you know, the little boy on the bicycle and – as 
a guy was driving by. He stood there and then he sort of thought of it and says, man, that's the dream. That's what I want in my future. Basically, that's what he was thinking. But it's not so much the guy driving in a car with a you know, pretty girl that really got me, but it was just his passion for what he wanted to see himself achieve by, you know, by being able to afford these things that he wanted. But in my case, I knew if I had a chance to come to America, I would make the best of it in terms of reaching out to my family and help us get out of poverty. That's how um, the movie sort of impacted me to really go ahead and, and set a goal and go ahead and do whatever it takes to achieve it. What's interesting about this, Junior, is that you're living in poverty where the focus for most people and or most families, I suspect, was just getting the next meal. And you're living in hard conditions and the people around you are just trying to survive, yet you've got this picture in your mind. Why did you believe you could do it? Yeah, that's a beautiful question. <laughs> Honestly, my, my answer is I just had nothing to lose. You know, if I had to look towards the future back then, all I could see was poverty, just like most of the people around me. I already knew if there was an option, I would end up dying in poverty. So I already knew that. So that's why the only option I have is to just move up from there, you know, just, and, and that's exactly what I had in mind. I already knew that future, meaning I wouldn't end up in poverty and dying if that's what was going to happen. Why not try something different? You know, why not try to do something that I've never done before? No one around me has never done before. As far as people say, no, you can't do it. Oh man, that, that's, I grew up, around people saying that you're just wasting your time. What makes you think you're better, you're better than us? And I just had to believe, and I strongly believe in my own thoughts. If I believe something is possible, I just go ahead and do it. Because um, the way I look at life, God gives each one of us our own dream. When you think of somebody creating an airplane for the first time, you know, all these stories or submarine, mm-hmm. all these people have their own dream. You know, if you're waiting for people to, to validate your dreams, you're probably going to spend your whole life in misery or, you know, spend it miserable because I strongly believe my dream is given to me and to me alone for a reason. So I'm going to go ahead and do what it takes to achieve it. Um, and, and, and that's exactly what I had in mind because I already knew I was going to die in poverty. I might as well just, just get up and do what it takes to achieve it, even though everybody around me is worrying about nothing but food and, you know, survival for the next day. You said that some of the people in your neighborhood, when you started, and we'll, we'll go through the journey of how you got out of Haiti to where you are now in a second, but you've said that some of the people in the neighborhood laughed at you and even called you names when they saw what you were doing. How did you deal with that? Like, what was the mental process that Junior went through in your own mind to keep you going forward to chase that dream? Okay, and it's funny you ask that. And if I feel like one of the biggest reasons Haiti is in the situation it is today is the fact that people care so much about what others think. And, you know, people care a lot about what others think. And as a result, people just stay there and do nothing. And when I realized, you know, unfortunately, I grew up uh, in a position where I, I don't know why I just always attracted people making fun of me and, you know, calling me names because I was such a survivor. If I had to go in somebody's yard to get mangoes, if somebody had mango, I'd be in your yard, become friends with you and, you know, and get some food from you. If that's what I have to get. You know, I was always this guy going around trying to do what it takes to survive. 
And, um, and you know, as a result of me always somewhere, always uh, talking to somebody, always pretty much sugarcoating somebody, people always made fun of me. And once they realized I was going around following Americans, uh, trying to come to America, then they started to call me names saying, what, are you, what, do, what do you think you're doing? This guy is such a beggar. And they called me a beggar. They called me, they even called me um, curse, a curse. You know, I've, I've been called some words I don't want to say, you know, <laughs> but I've been called a lot of piece of. If you want to finish my sentence, I've been, yeah. I've been called piece of. You can finish that yourself. You yeah. know? It, it, it was horrible. And that's why I realized if I'm going to worry about what people think, I will never become anything in life. So I, I had developed this philosophy where I am living with people, but not for people. Because I'm living with you, it doesn't mean I have to live for you based on your desire or what you want me to do. And even my own parents, I ignored whatever they wanted me to do for my own future to go ahead and follow my own path because that's how strongly I felt about it. So just to frame this for our listeners, at this time... English wasn't a first language for you and you had this dream, you've had to deal with the naysayers. Then you got a hold of a dictionary to start understanding how the Americans spoke. Take us through the journey of you actually being able to speak in the American, say, in the American language. Okay. So what I had to do, uh, this, uh, going back to people, um, you know, naysayers making fun of me, one of the things uh, people would tell me, who do you think you are? Think about it. You in Haiti, you don't know anybody in America. You don't even speak the language. You don't, how, how are you going to make it to America? You don't even have any money. You know, I had all these obstacles. I could make a whole list of the reasons why this would not work out for me. So I had to go back. I just, honestly, it's not like I had some kind of, you know, brilliant strategy or anything. All I knew in my mind, if I had to do this, I had to think in the smallest way possible. I know I love to dream big, but you have to, to be willing to start as small as possible. And the more I thought about it, I realized if I were to go to America, starting with the language would be, uh, you know, the best opportunity, especially in my position where I don't have any connection that has to do with America. So a friend of mine had the dictionary. Um, actually, he threw it away because he had no needs for it. And, um, you know, I asked him, hey, do you mind if I take that dictionary? Thankfully, you know, I was always at people's houses looking for food or whatever I could find. So that's how I ended up uh, finding the dictionary, which was just around the time when I needed to figure something out to come to America. Uh, so my friend said, oh, go ahead, please have it. And the moment I had the dictionary, I started to study every single day. I would wake up in the middle of the night. If I can't sleep, I would start studying. And from studying the dictionary, I realized, well, how am I going to practice? And, you know, the more I thought about it, I realized we always, we often had Americans working around my hometown, um, you know, people from missionary uh, trips coming down there to help, um, you know, with food and money and things like that. So I would, so the thing is, whenever you see these Americans working in town, you always have a lot of children following them begging for food or money. So you would find me among those children. And instead of begging, you would find me there just learning English. I would be questioning them about things and they would answer me. They found it interesting. And then from there, my grandmother, she's one of the people who had a great impact on my life. Also, my grandmother realized 
all these children were always so dirty whenever they had to follow those Americans. She told me, well, think about it. These children are always dirty. I think if you try to put yourself in a different position, you might even have a better shot. And then, you know, she told me, dress in the best way possible. That way you can stand out. So, you know, from her, I learned that if I can put myself in a better position by dressing nicely, you know, like the same clothes I would wear to church, which was only two pair of uh, of um nice pants I had and, and two shirts. I would just wear those same clothes every day to follow the Americans. Now, they didn't see me as so much as a beggar, but somebody they could become friends with. And that's how I ended up practicing with them more until one day a translator didn't show up for work and I saw the Americans uh, struggling to speak with somebody uh, they wanted to help. And that's when I stepped up. I said, hey, um, I think I can help you. I know enough English to help you. They allowed me to help. And that's the day I became a translator, which changed everything. Wow. Now, you had, this is interesting, you know, Junior, because you had a number of paths you could have followed. Your friend, Casnell, went down one path. Yeah. But you chose to go down a different path. Tell me how your friend Casnell impacted your life. Okay, uh, this kid, he was a kid I grew up with. You know, we went to the same church, the same school. And unlike me, his father was uh, in charge of a high school we had in town. And he had a promising future because his own, actually it's not his, uh, his uncle, the guy was his uncle because he didn't have a father. His uncle told him, if you stay in school, you do whatever it takes to go through high school. I will pay for your own education. You know, I would like to see you becoming a college educated young man. And his uncle was willing to do anything for him. And he started off doing pretty well in life. And then at some point he ended up Starting, he and I, I started to see him hanging out with all these guys from very bad neighborhoods where you had gangsters and people shooting and killing all the time. He started hanging out with them, and just from a few weeks of him hanging out with them, I would spend months and not see him. And last, the, after not seeing him for about three months, when I finally saw him, I saw him on the side of the street. Uh, barefoot and he was begging and he smelled, it was horrible. I could not believe it. When I started asking his parents more questions about it, because he lived right right in my neighborhood, but again, I spent over three months and I would not see him at all. He spent all the time hanging out with these guys who got him into drugs and, um, and, and he was catastrophic. Everyone in my hometown until today, this kid is still in that same neighborhood, sitting there now all he does is just beg for uh, you know money. Once you give him the money, he, you know he buys cigarettes with it. He would smoke and do drugs. It's unbelievable. So one, once I realized how things turned out for him, I knew I had to figure something out for myself. And I, first of all, I already knew doing drugs would not amount to anything. You know that would not lead to anything positive for me. So that's when I decided. I have to do something about it because here we were, both of us would have so many great dreams that we wanted to achieve. To me, watching him going down that wrong path told me that was already his future. It's amazing how you're talking about something today. A few weeks later, somebody changes, you know, entirely. They, they take a whole different path. To me, seeing him in that position was his future. I did not want my future to end up being just like his. And that's why I had to figure something out and, and, totally changed my own life. And, uh, you know, looking at his situation sort of gave me that inner power to really go ahead and, and study and do whatever it takes until I, t- until I got to a point where I could pretty much tell you I became impervious to pain 
as if I would not feel the pain as I kept studying more and more. All the pressure, all the pain and suffering around me really allowed me to just do what it takes and not even think twice about what I'm doing. Let's, let's just camp there for a second, Junior, because through your journey to where you are today, which we'll talk about in a sec, you've really had to handle a lot of stories like this and you've handled a lot of rejection, obviously, when you first started hanging around with the American tourists and even until this point. What's your mindset to rejection? How do you face up to rejection? Well, to me, um, the same way we breathe, you know, when you think about the air, we breathe the air, you know, we drink water. These are some of the basic things we do in life. To me, if you, for anyone who wants to achieve success in this life, if you're not willing to overcome rejection and failure and, you know, and also having the ability to persist, then you don't have what it takes. You don't, you don't have it. You know, you don't even need, don't waste your time, honestly. So that's all you see on that journey. You know, like, especially for me, that's all I see. So now I have the, the mindset, whatever I, whatever I want to achieve, I already know rejection and, again, you know, failure. I already know these things are expected. I don't see it as something I'm hoping doesn't come. You know, I don't see them, these things as, as things that I shouldn't expect. Instead, I look at them as, as things that are coming my way anyway. So I need to just prepare myself to deal uh, with these issues when they come my way. Uh, and um, especially, you know, coming from Haiti, that's all you see. People saying no rejection over and over again. And that's part of life. You better get used to it or don't even waste your time because no way, I don't believe there's a way to success without rejection and failure. And I strongly believe that. It's half time on the Mojo Show. And time to pause. For a cause. Hello, Mojo Radio listeners. I'm Dr. Alicia Jenkins from Insulin for Life Global. Our charity's mission is to help ease and save the lives of people around the world in disadvantaged countries. So we would like your help to do this by you providing us with any unwanted, in-date, unopened insulin and related diabetes supplies and with the shipping costs. Uh, to get uh, the supplies to the people who really need them. Check us out at www.inchlandforlife.org. Thank you. The Mojo Radio Show. You mentioned earlier your grandmother talking to you and telling you to, to wear nicer clothes when you were talking to the Americans. Going a bit broader than that, how much did family have an effect on your attitude towards achieving your goals and getting to where you are now? Um, they had <laughs> a lot of effects on me, not so much positive and not, not in such a positive way. Um, especially my grandmother, she was always the one person who always stood by me no matter what. But as far as my parents and my siblings, I have two brothers and two sisters and, uh, and also my parents, nobody believed I could do anything worthwhile in this life. Um, because, you know, I grew up, I couldn't even learn to, I couldn't learn in school. And I was the, this one kid, if, for example, they had to choose and if somebody had to be left behind, I would be the guy being left behind. My parents would tell you that right now, because, you know, it's so, it's shocking to them that I'm able to do what I'm doing now. So my grandmother was always on my side, uh, through it all. And, you know, with her always giving me this pep talk saying, you can do it. You know, I believe in you, things like that. And I always had the courage to keep on trying. And, uh, yeah, it, it, you know, I, 
she definitely plays a big role in who I am today. So let's let's track where we are so far. You've grown up in Haiti. It's tough conditions. Food is the number one focus for most of your family and people around you. You learn to survive. You get a dictionary. You learn to speak the American tourists. An opportunity presents itself. You become a translator. Then suddenly you've got this purpose and it's driving you towards this ultimate dream you've got of being in America. Then you meet a guy called Bill Barr. Tell me how Bill impacted your life and helped you with the next part of your dream. Oh man, oh. it's it, it, you know to me, I this is a miracle. You know, I, I don't know. I I strongly believe in God. It's a miracle the way I met Billy, because you know when I met him right before I met him, I went through the Dominican Republic, and I ended up begging on the side of the street to survive, thinking that I was going to go there to do great things. But again, it turned out to be miserable. And I came back to Haiti as a total failure. You know, I've never experienced anything like this before. But again, you know, not even including the earthquake, which would happen even before I met Billy. So after going through all that, the earthquake, begging on the side of the street and feeling like a total failure, I started, I went back to my hometown and started to do translating jobs again, now that I was back in town, that's when uh, they told me there was a team in town and my boss told me she needed me to work with the team for four days. And uh, I started working with the team and I met Billy. He was such a nice guy. He would help with the kids. And when I met him, uh, we were working one day and it was really hot. As usual, Haiti is, you know, it's a tropical country and it was really hot that day. And I was sweating a lot. Billy offered me his hat. And I said, no, I'm sorry, I can't take it. He says, why not? You're sweating a lot and I'm just trying to help. And I told him no, because in Haiti, uh, the organization I work with, one of the rules was that, was that you would not take anything from the Americans, no matter what, money or anything. So I went ahead and followed the rules. But unlike me, a lot of the tr- other translators, they always try to find an opportunity to take whatever they can from the Americans. So once he offered me the hat and I said, no, I wouldn't take him, take it. Um, And he was very surprised by my reaction. He went ahead and spoke with my boss to ask for permission if she would allow him uh, to give me the hat. And once he spoke with her and he gave it to me and I took it, I said, thank you. I really appreciate it. You know, I just couldn't take it from you because I am not supposed to take anything from you, uh, you know, down here. And I, I think that one One little gesture had a big impact on him. He left and I did not hear from him for a few months until later, my boss called me and told me Billy would like to sponsor for my education. I said, are you kidding me? Like, he's really going to do that? And then, but then she said, yes, he would like to help you to come to America. I said, what America? Cause you know, it, <laughs> it was incredible. And, and you know, right after she told me Billy wanted to help me to come to America, But then within a few weeks, my paperwork arrived and I came to America. I had to pass my GED, which itself was a whole, you know, different story. And, um, and to this day, I'm so grateful for it. I hear people talk about being self-made all the time. I don't, I strongly believe in self-made, you know, because of my personal experience, experience, because I don't see how anyone can make it, can make it in this life just on your own without anyone helping. Even you doing this interview with me, you know, that's, that's you helping me, you know, putting the words out there. I, I really don't believe in being a self-made, um, you know, whatever people call it out there, really. It's interesting. Arnold Schwarzenegger says the same thing. He said the, 
that one of the biggest questions that, that Arnie gets asked is about being a self-made person. He said, I'm not. It's all through my career. I could not have done it on my own. <clears throat> yeah, I totally agree. Now, Bill helps you get to America, you land, and then your grades aren't up to scratch. And what, what I'm really curious about this is that Bill actually put it right on you and said, you've got to get these grades right and said, if you don't, then you're going to go back to where you came from. Yes, yes. Tell me how, tell me how you faced up to that, Junior, because that would have been quite confronting to be in the place that was your dream and then to be told, if you don't get this right, you're out. What did you do? Uh, yeah, so basically when I came here and, uh, you know, I did not have the proper education level, but again, while I was in school, I spent most of the time following the Americans. I became so obsessed with them that I ended up dropping out of school. So what happened was, to get it right, is I dropped out of school and I ended up spending the time learning and learning uh, with, uh, you know, the Americans. And I got to a point where I became so depressed that um, I did not even care about school anymore. You know, I just wanted to figure this out. And, and once I came here and they had me take a placement test. Uh, which proved that I was placed at a fourth grade level. I, nobody could believe it. I myself could not believe it. And, and you know, first of all, I had to deal with English itself. Obviously, you know, it's not my first language. And also math, science, American history, and chemistry. So many things I had to deal with uh, in the test, and I totally had no clue. So after I took that test, and it was, it was catastrophic, uh, to the family, because here I was thinking that I was such a smart kid from Haiti. They had a huge party for me. Everybody showed up and people were taking pictures. They looked at me as this Haitian hero who came here to conquer America. And here I was being placed on on a fourth grade level. It was such a shame, not only for me, but for the family having to tell their friends that I would be sent back to Haiti within six months. So what happened was, the moment I don't pass the test, the fact that I was on a student visa, um, you know, there was no question that I would be sent back to Haiti immediately. But somehow he agreed to pay for me to continue to take English classes um, for the next six months so that I would improve my English. Um, so in this case, once I go back to Haiti, I would go back to being a, to being a translator. Uh, you know, he just did me a favor by keeping me here a little bit longer just so I could become a better translator upon returning to Haiti. So, you know, that was the basic idea behind it. Once I realized I'm going to Haiti anyway, so that's when I told myself, how can I let this happen? After trying so hard, I spent over eight years in my life trying to make it here. Now that I'm here, Am I really going to let it happen? So that's when I decided I'm going to go ahead and do whatever it takes. I say, you know what? If I go back to Haiti, I'm probably going to end up dead anyway, sooner or later. So I might as well do whatever it takes. I said, if I'm going to be here, I'm, I don't care what it takes. I don't care if I die trying to do this. I will do whatever it takes. So when you think about it, the fourth grade level I was in, when they called the test center and asked about how many days would it take Junior to pass it if you were to study really hard, based on my level, it would have taken me about four to five years to be prepared for it. That's why there was no hope, no way I could pass that high school level test to be able to uh, go to college. So, you know, everybody had already given up on it. But then I, I started praying about it and, and I refused to give up. 
And, you know, that's when I started studying that GED book, which was about 750 pages. I woke up every day and I would study. When I go to school, I had a little break. I would stop. If I had like a five-minute break, sometimes I would pretend that I need to go to the restroom just so I could spend a couple minutes studying real quick. And again, the way I did this, I had to tell myself all I have is was six months. When you think about six months as compared to five years, there is no way I could pass that test. So I started to break it down in terms of days. You know, I realized I had so many more days. But then when I looked at it in terms of minutes, I had so many, you know, thousands of minutes uh, that I could use. So now instead of focus, focusing on six months, I started to focus on the minutes, but then I realized I had so much time to get this done. You know, every day I started to live just based on minutes. I would wake up every day and study. Waking up, I would go to bed by 3 a.m. and wake up at 5. You know, I would survive in, on only two hours of sleep every single day. And then within five months, I would open the book, but then there was nothing new to learn. I could not believe it. I said, wait, did I really learn this whole book? But then I would turn it from any page I would still learn everything. I already knew everything. That's how much I studied. That's when I realized maybe I was ready for the test. You know, I called Billy and said, do you mind, uh, you know, to, if you would let me take the test? He said, are you kidding me? Are you sure you really want to do this? But then, you know, he went ahead and did not because he believed in me. But he said, hey, you know, it's $50. I have nothing to lose. That's fine. If it's a loss, it's a loss. So he went ahead and paid for me to take the test. And when I passed it, no one could believe it, including myself. And then right after passing that test, um, I wrote an article right after I survived the earthquake in Haiti and explained how I survived it and how God was so good to me. And I shared that article online with uh, all my friends from America. So they shared that article with a lot of different people. So right after I passed the test, Somebody who found that article read it and really liked it and showed it to um, the people in charge of a university in her hometown. So I had that university reach out to me explaining how they would like to help. Right after I passed the test, that same university offered me a full ride scholarship, you know, for four years, all paid for. And and I actually graduated from that school back in 2014. Uh, you know, that's when I had my graduation speech and everything. It, it, it's just incredible coming from having no hope to not only passing the test, but also ending up with, uh, you know, a full-ride scholarship for four years all paid for. You went to Alvernia University, you graduated, and online I saw a beautiful speech you made at your graduation. Through that journey, Junior, of Bill getting you to America, having level four academic uh, qualifications, doing the study, then writing the blog, graduating through Alvernia. When you sit, for example, in a class at Alvernia and you think back through your journey of that part, what's the lesson you take from that? Man, the biggest lesson I take from it is never give up. If there is anything, I feel like that's the biggest rule in this life. You know, I don't, it doesn't matter what happened to you. Somebody could could beat you up, people could do anything to you, you could give up, get rejected. The basic rule is never give up. Anyone who gets this right, you will make it, you know, you, you will you can achieve anything. You know, that's all that I that's the one thing that stands out to me. Just never give up. Because life is gonna hit you really hard. You know, you're gonna you're gonna fall so many times and have to get back up. At the end of the day, if you give up, you know you don't achieve anything. And those who give up never get anywhere. But if you keep on persisting, if you persist, no matter what happens, 
you will see your day of victory. I strongly believe that. Never give up, no matter what. I've heard you talk about the dream you had of going to America, and the word you used a couple of times was joy. Do you think that as an emotion, joy is an important part to have, that your dream must fill you with joy in order to not only create the desire but keep you going forward when you face rejection and hard times? Like, are you a believer that that's an emotion that you should look for to know whether it's a true dream or not? Oh, totally, yes. You have to have joy. joy. And I'm glad you, you brought that up because, you know, a lot of people see dreams, they just want to follow dreams. You know, I might see somebody who's very successful financially, all of a sudden, oh my gosh, they ended up, these people started a tech company. Let me go ahead and see if I can do one too. No, you know, I feel, you know a lot of people are blindly following others, thinking that, that's their own dreams. You, you know, when you're really following your own dream, I can't even describe how much joy you get from that. And people have to be clear about that because I believe, you know, if you're going to spend X amount of years after a dream, and if it's not really your own dream, once you achieve it, it's going to be meaningless, you know. And, and I don't think anyone should waste their time following dreams that are not really their dreams. And you really have to get that clear and follow what you know you're passionate about, not so much what you see others do and all of a sudden you're going to, to do it too. And, and, you know, especially with this, with the whole uh, you know, internet going on right now, which is such a phenomenon, everybody's trying to follow somebody thinking that they can do the same thing. They can make a couple millions in, in one year or whatever the dream is. And you have to get it right. Follow your own dream. People who see you following your own dream obviously they're going to follow them to follow you too but you really have to focus on you and know what you want because there is no joy like doing what you're really after not what others are doing i think it's beautiful you spoke about one of your favorite places to be was sitting in front of the library at alvernia university can you explain why that place was so special to you oh it's whenever i would sit in front of the library i would just dream you know i'm all about spending quality time and um, what's the word? You know, I just love to visualize, you know, about life, whether it's my past and my future. You know, I strongly believe in, in reminiscing about my past just so I know how much I need to improve for the future. And, um, you know, every time I sit there, a lot of time, especially at night, you know, when uh, just watching the moon and it, it would just take me all the way back to how I grew up or even the things that I'm hoping to achieve in the future. And it, I feel like everybody should really have a special place where you feel so comfortable, where you can just be yourself and, and dream and imagine and really see the true beauty of life. It, it was just one of those places for me. I just want to build on something Robbo said earlier. It was a great question about your family. And something you said was that your grandmother said, always dress nicely. The thing that I, if people go online and have a look at your story, there's some beautiful documentaries on your story online. And one thing I noticed, Junior, is that you are beautifully presented, but you're also jacked. Like, man, like watching you work (laughs) out, even through that story, you just look jacked and cut. Yeah, thank you. And I'm interested to... to, I'm just interested to know in a, was there a psychology behind that? Like when you think about, you've always been beautifully presented. It goes back to what your grandmother said, how you presented at church, but also physically you worked out. 
and you look terrific in terms of you are fit and healthy. Was there a psychology or a strategy behind that or was it just something you did innately? Well, it's funny. I'm so glad you asked. Well, that's how much honestly that's how much I believed in my dream. Even back in Haiti, I did not start working out here. I started working out back in Haiti because in Haiti we don't have, you know, like a proper gym uh, where you can work out. And people would take parts of vehicles like a car they would take the parts and make sure they you know they sort of weigh about the same somehow you use them to work out whether it's going to be push-ups and bench whatever you have to do with them and in haiti i wanted to achieve my dream so so bad that i would picture myself being this jack guy walking around or in my nice car and i wanted to prepare for it that's how i started working out all the way back in haiti as a, you know just to prepare myself for what i wanted to see going back to visual you know visualizing what you want to do and see in life <laughs> that's how it all started um you know it's funny because i still remember me and all my friends you know just Working out so hard. Everybody had their own goal, whether it was for a girl. But me, that was what I wanted to see. I wanted to prepare. Once I achieved the dream, I'm just ready to go, you know, and start living that dream. <laughs> Man, that's gold. That's gold. I've never heard anybody talk about that, that you set the dreams and you can see what you want for the dream. But I don't know anybody who has sat themselves <laughs> down to say, what do I need to do to prepare so when the dream happens, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to get after it. That's such a cool, that's, that's just gold. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And that's why you have to enjoy every moment of it. You know, if you don't, if, for example, all you want is the dream, once you achieve it, one thing we don't think about is after a dream, born another you know once you achieve one dream boom you have another dream it, they never stop coming so you might as well focus on the dreams you love because you will enjoy every you know every moment of it i think it's the process that's key not so much the dream itself uh you know when you look at it because I, I love waking out you know i love um seeing myself do better every second or every time um you know as i follow along that journey i reckon we should get the weights bench brother <laughs> That's what we're lacking in this show. We're lacking any true focus because we're not hitting the bench. Yeah, that's right. All right. Well, uh, that would be our benchmark. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, That's gold. You're now at Penske. Is that right, Junior? You've graduated from Alvernia. You are now in a management role or management training program at Penske. What's the future look like for you, mate? What can you see? Uh, Yeah, actually, the Penske part is now in the past. Yeah, I was with Penske for almost two years now. But then, you know, I realized, obviously, you know, first of all, I needed to get some, um, you know, knowledge in terms of business. But when I think about it, I have so many people I need to help, whether it's back in Haiti or even here in America, you know, to pay it forward. And it was just not my path. You know, I I think I need to do better financially. And the job is totally fine. I love that I had a job, but, you know, it's really not the path that I'm meant to be on. You know, I'm supposed to do more. I'm supposed to achieve more financially and as well as influencing more people in my life and being able to own my time. Uh, if you want to look at it, you know, in terms of eight hours a day working for a company, you know, being able to own my time and and I think I can achieve way more in that short amount of time that I have to live than really in, invest in it, uh, you know, uh, with with a company. So that's why I ended up leaving the company just about five months ago now. And um, actually, I have just completed my manuscript for my book. Um, I'm actually sending it to my editor in two weeks from now, so which is very exciting because you know, I spent five years working on it. So <laughs> finally, 
that's done and yeah i'm i'm really right now i'm at the stage where i'm really exploring so many different things you know i know i would love to keep writing and uh i, I would love to start my own company i'm just trying to see my options and i want to choose something that i'll be happy with and and you know, it's very competitive out there i want to make a choice and really stand out so that's where i'm at right now mate you've, you've come such a long way if there was someone out there listening to this show who, you know, maybe is not in poverty, but in some way is facing their own challenge that they're f- struggling to turn around, from all your experience, what would be one piece of advice that you would take to pass on to them to, to sort of give them some hope that there's a light at the end of the tunnel? Oh, yes. Yeah. So my one advice would be, do what you feel like you are called to do. Here's, here's the problem. A lot of people are, are so worried about what others think. So many of us ended up in the wrong career, you know, which was the wrong job. Or we don't want to leave the job because of what our parents or families or friends might think. Please just do what you feel like you're supposed to do, you know, like follow your dreams. And no matter what people say, don't give up. Just keep going after what you want because 80 years from now, when you look back, you do not want to look back and regret the things that you didn't do. You know, do what you can now and and that way you have no regrets in this life. Life is really short and we need to remember the journey. You know, it's all about doing what you love and making the best of life. And to do that, you really have to follow your heart, follow your passion, and please not worry about what others think about you. At the end of the day, none of that matters. And, um, you know, that's my advice. Just go after what you want. And it doesn't matter what people think. Go after it with all your heart. Don't give up. Pretty good advice, guys. More gold. More gold. More benchmarking. (laughs) Gold-plated dumbbells right there, buddy. Uh, Go for it. Junior... It's just a beautiful story and it oh, just I, I, I hear you talk about that stuff and I look at our own world or the world of people around us and go, if you can do what you've done, what excuses can anybody put up to not doing something and what are they waiting for? And I think, uh, mate, what you're doing is beautiful. You're a terrific guy. Your message is inspirational. I think I'm looking forward to when – you, when you get the book and it's all out and on Amazon stuff, let us know, mate, and we'll uh, – We'll see what we can do to help you out and uh, get the word out there because I think um, it's an important thing for people to read and take in and be inspired by. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. Excellent. So thank you so much and thank you to our good friend Carolyn Adams-Miller who herself has actually got a fantastic book out called Getting Grit, which we have read and is awesome. So um, good on you, mate. Thanks for spending time with us, Junior. It's been a real pleasure, mate. Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate your help and I appreciate spending time with you and keep up the good work. But, 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 but don't touch your dial because you've got a treat coming up with a batch of real big stars. The Mojo Radio Show. His story just goes to prove that behind every great man is a very wise grandmother, don't you think? Some of those stories about his grandma telling him to dress up and all the rest of it. Oh, I love that stuff about, you know, he's cut and he's shredded. Yeah. He works out, he looks fantastic. Well, why was he doing that? Because he was getting ready for his dream to happen. I mean, there's That's just right. so many great lessons in that story of grit, resilience, breaking things down to the smallest pieces, taking one step at a time, not giving up. Not listening to naysayers. I mean, that whole story is just a beautiful piece of audio Mm. to sit and savour. And I'd say to anybody at the end of it, if you're looking at any dream you've got and you're looking for excuses, play that that podcast again because uh, there are no excuses. No, totally. 
The Mojo Radio Show. Now, to finish up the shoe, uh, a couple of quick shout-outs. I got a lovely uh, message via LinkedIn from Brendan at Exercise in Practice who loves the show and sent us a very nice compliment. So thanks, mate, for that. Mm. And on Facebook, uh, Stephen Ford, Danny Radford, who is a super fan, mm-hmm. Paul Mantle sent us a, a lovely message and, uh, and said, keep up the good work, boys. Russell Harland, Ryan Poole, uh, Kimberly White, Alexis Pendergrass. What a great name. Alexis Pendergrass. Oh, like the great Teddy Pendergrass that Eddie Murphy mentions in one of his stand-up comedies. <laughs> well, it is the late because he died in uh, January 2010. Uh, I didn't but, know that. There you go. Yeah. But uh, if Teddy had have been here, he'd have been a very big fan of the Mojo Radio oh, Show. Oh, well, you know, the Ouija board in the studio sometimes goes stupid. We're, um, you know, spelling out close of the door and, you know, some of the names of his big hits. Your Ouija board's quite interesting, though, because putting your finger on the top of a Tim Tam yes. and then letting the Tim Tam go around the board, <laughs> kind of messy, uh, well, but, you know, melts away your problems. Uh, that's right. Exactly. Now, I reckon... <laughs> as a tribute to Alexis Pendergrass <laughs> should, and the we late really... great Teddy. Hang on, let's should, get sexy. Should we really do this to our listeners? Yeah, sure. Let's just get sexy. <laughs> let's just play a little bit of Teddy Pendergrass to set up a sexy day, folks. Uh, get funky with it. We're out. <laughs> Close the door. Let me give you what you've been waiting for. Baby, I got so much love to give And I want to give it all to you Won't you close the door No need to worry no more Let's bring this day to a pleasant end Girl, it's me and you I've waited all day long Just to hold you in my arms And it's exactly like I thought it would be Me loving you and you loving me Close the door Let me rub your back where you said you saw Come on, get closer and closer, so close to me Let's get lost in each other It's exactly like I thought it would be 
me loving you and you loving me. Won't you close? Won't you close the door, baby? And let me blow your mind. Plenty good love and all, all through the night. But then again, but then again, when the morning comes. Come here, woman. Blow your mind, blow your mind. Let me do what I want to you. Would you let me do what I want to you? Let me make sweet love to you, baby. Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybertwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peters speaking. See you next time.